Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a hat trick podcast. Oh, lovely. I'm Janet Ellis, and this is Twice Upon a Time, where each week I invite a guest to come and chat with me about their favorite childhood book. They often bring along their own battered copy. This is a podcast to celebrate that magical book which cast a spell over us and often still has us in its thrall. Welcome to Twice Upon a Time, and I'm very, very delighted to say that my guest, stop laughing, Sorry. is somebody I know particularly well, or, or do I? Because I've got some questions for you. Um, singer, writer, and all-round good girl, except for the naughty bits, Sophie Ellis-Bexter. <laughs> <laughs> and an audience today, which is hey. particularly nice. Before we get started, Soph, I, I did say to you, is anything off limits? You know, which is a fair question. There might be things she doesn't want to talk about. Um, and Sophie said, yeah, I don't want any long words because yeah. uh, Sophie has been at a gig in Mexico and got back today. <laughs> yeah. None of this will be uh, obvious from any of your answers, but just in case, just in be. case. I do feel a little bit woolly. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell me about your book. What's it called? So it's called Just Awful. And yeah, when I thought about favourite childhood book, it was quite immediate. I think, you know, I've always loved this book and it's got, it's got such a lovely little message to it. It's very sweet, isn't it? Really sweet. Yes. Really sweet. Mm. And it's by Alma Marshak Whitney. And I'm saying it like that because as we'll discover later, we can't find anything about her at all. So really? anybody who can... <clears throat> Mystery be- woman. I'd be really, really grateful because uh, of all the children's writers in, in this podcast, we haven't been able to, to dig deep into Alma Marshak Whitney, but it is a very special little book. And it's completely out of print as well. Mm. So I'm very grateful to Hattrick for coughing up for this copy, which was the <laughs> result of a fierce, it was the result of a fierce bidding war. So here it is. And it's such a sweet book. So I've just described the cover for me because it's particularly nice. Well, did you find out anything about the illustrator? Yes. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> I think Lily. Ian Hoban, his name is, that's the first time I've ever said that out loud, has done a <laughs> lovely job with the illustrations. I think they are a massive part of what makes the story special. So on the cover, we can see three little children sat on a bench. And to the left, there's a little boy holding his tummy. In the middle, there's a girl who's only got one shoe and sock on, the other one's off. And then there's a little boy sat on the far side on the right. We later find out he's James. He is the protagonist of the tale. <laughs> and they all look a little bit worried because they're all waiting to see the school nurse. And where did you get your copy? Um, I don't know how this podcast works when you're not interviewing, like uh, the mother is not interviewing you. But I, I don't know. Where did you find the book? Okay. <laughs> I was hoping you'd know, actually. Really? Because <laughs> normally yeah, I, can, I can ask that question knowing I won't know the answer. And now mm. I think I should know the answer. And I don't know Did you answer. buy it? So you don't know if you bought it new? Even? I think I must have bought it new. It was published in 71. 
Well, I wasn't born then, so maybe you'd... I thought, so I thought maybe it was yours. No, I'm going to finish that sentence. It was published in 71, so I'm imagining that I read it to you when you were about four or five. Is that your memory? I think maybe... I don't I feel like it's been there since, since Dot, so maybe, maybe when I was like three, I don't know. Okay, well, I think it would still have been print then, that's my point. I oh, I see. In yes. 79, when you write. It should still be in print now, it's lovely. It should still be in print mm. now. I think Start the might, petition tonight. We might discuss why it's not... <laughs> And again, I'm going to ask you a generic podcast question. Um, Go for it. Did you read it yourself or was it read to you? (laughs) (laughs) It was read to me. Um, I don't remember anybody but you reading this to me, actually. And in very characteristic style you added a little bit onto the end of the story uh, which I think used to happen quite a lot so I'm gonna you know a bit of a spoiler he's fine at the end (laughs) (laughs) and he goes back to his class and he's the teacher knew he was a bit apprehensive about seeing the nurse comes back at the end she says how did it go he says I think I'm going to be all right. And then after you finish, there's one extra page that just has the illustration of James smiling, his little plastered finger. (laughs) And my mum used to always say at this point, and he was. (laughs) (laughs) Just so sweet. And of course, I now do that when I read it to my kids. I do every time. And he was. Because he was. And what's the reaction when you read it to Mickey? Yeah, so Mickey is my youngest, he's four, and I've just started reading this to him. He's just progressed to sort of above like the baby books into this level of picture book. And the other night we read it and he said afterwards, I want to read this book again and again and again and again and again. Yeah, he absolutely loves it. And it's resonated with all of them. So when I said I was coming along to speak about this book, they all remembered it. I think it's one of those books that's just got a very, it's very simple, but it's very pure. And I suppose it deals with um, that sort of childhood fear of the unknown when you know you should be fine, but really you're just feeling worried about it, a sort of slightly abstract worry. Well, let's let's deep dive into the plot then. Shall we? Which won't take long. Um, <laughs> I was actually sort of picturing like maybe but, I'd just read it to everybody. But actually, you almost could. Because I really, yeah. It is very simple. Yes. But having said that, I think it's also quite layered because... When he discovers he's got his cut finger and, and the way it happens is never revealed, is it? Right. You know, he just has a cut finger, he's in the playground. Yeah. And he tells his teacher. Mm-hmm. And there are only uh, two adults in this book anyway, the teacher and the nurse. And the teacher is the more dismissive. I mean, she's kind, but she's not warm and welcoming. And she just sends him to the nurse. Correct. So I think given that he's probably five, that sort of age. Four yeah, or five. that sounds about right. He he doesn't have any agency in this. You know, he he can't even say how much it hurts or what he's scared of. Yeah, but the thing is, he's never been to the nurse before. Exactly. I think that's pretty crucial to the plot, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's the first time. But when he gets there, yeah. there are two other kids waiting. I also wonder if maybe when I was little, I was a bit intrigued about the fact that there was a bit of blood in it. Because you see on the first page when you find out he's hurt his finger, he's, there's definitely blood on the finger. And he's standing in front of railings in his playground. I always thought the railings might have been oh, part of the incident. Yes. They look quite spiky. It could be that. <laughs> so I think that was quite dramatic. You don't get many children's books that deal with anything that has blood in it. True. Hmm. True. Um, so maybe you feel a sense of his worry as well. Yes. This, this, how did this happen? Because he doesn't, as you say, he doesn't talk about it, but he does say it hurts. Well, that's so. interesting because when, when I read it to you, mm. I would imagine you were James. When you read it to your kids now, are you still him or are you the nurse? Oh, 
probably still him. Yeah, going on that little journey of discovery and the worry and then finding out that the nurse is really lovely. Definitely. The nurse is really lovely. And I think it's, I like the way that the language is used of saying he just felt just awful because it does, it does feel like that sort of cloud you get when you're a kid and you're, all your emotions just centre on one thing. So he does feel just awful about the whole thing of it. And it's all about him too because when he gets to the um, nurse's waiting room, there mm. are two other kids waiting one of whom has a stomachache and one mm. of whom has a, a sore toe. Yeah. And who goes in first? Stomachache? Goes in the, first, sorry, talking I of stomach, can you, I hope the mic's not picking up my tummy rumbling. <laughs> it is actually rumbling. Um, That's so method. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, yeah, tummy ache goes in first. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the kid with the tummy ache actually looks in quite a bad way. So I'm glad when he comes out and he's all right. He's fine. Yeah, he looks he's really fine. troubled. So then he's just left with the sore toe. But he says he wishes he had a stomach ache because yeah. obviously that was a quick resolution and it felt great. Yeah. And it's the same with the little girl with the sore toe. She comes out perfectly happy, beaming, in fact. Yeah, they're both smiling right. when they come out of the nurse's office. without wanting to be too psychological on you, there is something about the way as a child... Somebody could be sitting in front of you with a stomachache, but if your finger hurts, you have no time for them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's actually not bothered at all about what might be happening to them, how much pain they might be in, how much they need to see the nurse. No, he's got a he's sore finger. He's just consumed with his sore finger. And again, Definitely. I think that's, that's a tiny thing. But when you're reading it, she hasn't had, Alma hasn't had anyone sitting there saying, don't you think they should have thought about the kid with the stomachache? You know, there's, there's absolutely nothing no, apart totally- from... James. The simplicity of what he's struggling with, which Absolutely. I think is really endearing. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I suppose what you're dealing with is that is childlike anxiety, aren't you? And that is all, all encompassing. Yeah. You can't picture anything outside of your worry at all. No, I wonder when that starts, when you start to have empathy. When do you think that kicks in? Hmm, I don't know, actually. I suppose, I think it might be different for different children, actually. But for James, it's not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so then we cut to, he's in with the nurse. Yeah. And there's a bit of a procedure with that. Yeah, and it says she's jolly, so she's smiley mm. and friendly, straight, straight off. So you're immediately starting to get a bit more comforted by her. But um, after he's explained what's happened, she says, we're going to do the three-part um, process to make you better. She says, it's a three-part treatment. So he's like, okay. And he's got his hands behind his back in, his, in the illustration. He's a bit nervous about this. What's going to be involved? Uh, so the first thing is he has his finger. This is quite surreal. <laughs> he, has, <laughs> he has his finger cleaned. And he's like, oh, that's all right, actually. It just feels a bit warm and wet. And that's okay. Didn't hurt. So he's starting to smile at this point. Okay, life's all right. And one hand is in the pocket, but one hand's out. All good. Then she gets the plaster, puts that on. Great. He's like, this is fine. He's feeling good. And he's probably thinking at this point, I feel like everything's done. What's left to do? (laughs) And then the nurse says, now we've got to do the most important bit. And he's like, are you sure about this? We've already done the washing and the plaster. She says, yeah, this is definitely very important. Now come over here and I will give it to you. He's starting to feel a bit awful again, James. <laughs> so as he's walking towards her, he's back to little worried face. Her hands are like this. 
And she actually says, what would become of him? He's really unsure about the whole dynamic. And she gives him, when he gets closer, a really big hug. And it's left on one page, this hug. So all the writing, this is the only bit of colour. And it's huge and warm and lovely. Such a great font as well. Isn't it, I don't know what it's called, but I love it. Yes, and she's smiling and he's completely enveloped by this lovely, warm, comforting nurse. And after that... He is tip top. <laughs> and he goes, oh boy, yippee, I feel terrific. He's like, great. He's beaming. And she says, you can go back to your class now. Yeah. It's actually really nice, isn't it, to encounter a children's book that has n- nothing but that simplicity. You exactly. know, it's not about talking animals or magic or, and the relationship with adults is a simple one too. And I'm thinking mm. of a lot of children's fiction now, the relationship with adults is quite brusque or at least sort of glancing that's you know, very that true actually it doesn't have that sort of i don't know something deeper something that indicates you know if we fast forward that this woman might have a home life of her own and perhaps children <laughs> of her you know there was yeah. but it's quite simple and i wonder at what point writing for children became more complicated yeah maybe she almost steps outside of her role doesn't she yeah she becomes more than just the nurse there's a maternal aspect to her and you're right a lot of other books might focus on the child's experience but the the adults are kind of just characters that need to move things one place or another maybe give direction yeah but she actually comes into his world and goes down to his level so she sort of understood his apprehension and I think I also know the answer to this question but nevertheless and did it encourage you to read yourself definitely (laughs) yeah this is a book I adored but there were other books I could have chosen because there were so many books in my childhood and there's so many books in our house now. And it's a real soft spot with me, with the with my kids, that if they ever want to read anything or buy a new book or anything like that, I'm really encouraging of it. It's just such a magic thing to go into a world, isn't it? That's just kind of private for you and it just exists within the pages. I always think that's a bit of magic. And it's so portable. Yeah. It's so it portable is. as well. Yes. Because I, I know that from my childhood, which was peripatetic because my dad was in the army. And that was a long word. I'm, can you please not use those long words? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. We moved around a lot. We moved around a lot. And and there was something, looking back, Mm. because I was a voracious reader, there was something about the absolute portability of a book, the way that you could just go straight back into that world. It didn't need unpacking, in other words. Yeah. And I'm I'm sort of thinking, because your dad and I split up when you were little, Mm. we were like four or five, and... Therefore, I mean, we live close together, so I'm hoping that your memories of reading are not too fractured by that. No, no, I don't associate reading with anything negative at all. It was like a lovely thing. I used to read a lot, and I think, I suppose when you're little and when you're interested in books, it it gets a good reaction from adults too. So I think I kind of got more and more spurred on by that to the point where I would read a book a day on holiday even when I was reading fiction. And I think I was almost doing it as a sort of challenge, really. Like, oh, I know that I can just get through books. I used to enjoy that. I wish I could read like that now. <laughs> Me too. So, I mean, you say about them portable. I carry books around a lot. I just don't actually read them that got, much. Have you got, like me, have you got the tower of books by your bed? It's spectacular. Yeah. And actually, I don't want it to go away. I quite like the way it looks and it's yeah. quite comforting. I've and tried I, having a tidy bedside table and I don't like it as much. When I read in the bedroom, <laughs> I thought, well, that'll go. And it's the, the first osmosis thing to come well. back. I want it kind of to seep yeah. in when I'm sleeping, just absorb it. <laughs> And now I feel like I've read a book if I've read some of a book, which is terrible. It's like, it doesn't count, does it? And what about when you were at school? I remember one of your teachers, I think you were still at primary school, maybe mm-hmm. secondary, 
saying to me that they thought you were reading too many books that weren't good in inverted commas. Yeah, I know. Let's all stiffen our that. backbones about that. But I remember feeling then, and obviously you were my eldest and firstborn, that that was a fairly ridiculous, to be kind, thing to say because... Was this my point horror phase? Yes. I love those books. <laughs> you did have a chat with me about it, though. Do you remember? No. What did you they say? Some, you sort of went, I think you went through the sort of, um, you know, hamburgers, fast food and the steak version of literature. I do think there was a bit of a... These books are okay, but have you considered reading something a bit more weighty? Well, on that subject, I remember trying to press books to, into your hands that I loved. Yes, I know. <laughs> you can't How did that Anne of Green Gables or whatever it would be. How did that make you feel, Sophie? <laughs> I guess it worked occasionally. Um, but books are like, you know, lots of things that are sort of handed down, any sort of cultural... Um, or artistic expression, like your parents' record collection. So there's bits of it you go, oh, I kind of get that, that speaks to me. But really, you're also trying to find the things that are yours. There's, it's quite nice when you feel a bit of ownership over the context you're giving your own time. You know, and when you're those ages, everything's so visceral, isn't it? So the books that speak to you, it's quite nice when you've found them yourself or when your friends has found them. So I don't know. I, I mean, there were definitely a couple of things I would have read because you'd said try this, but... I think um, I think I probably found a bit of it a little bit twee, if I'm honest. The aspect, no, they were lovely, but I don't know. I just didn't really get get into the books. I think you. But be honest, suggest. have you tried to press any books that you love into the boys' hands and had this reaction? I think only really the childhood books, actually, and I think that's the same thing you would have done. So there are books that you would have introduced me to then that I absolutely adored, and obviously then you're not old enough to be going out and finding things in the same way. So I think that thing of handing things down and the messaging and the illustration is really lovely. But I think once my kids have got into double figures or old enough, to, you know, to have a bit of autonomy in the bookshop, actually, no, I kind of let them show me actually, and they're really well. Actually, my biggest bookworm is here, Ray, and he adores going to the bookshop. I like seeing what he's interested in, actually. Yeah, I can attest to that. I've been in a bookshop with Ray, and if he had his way, we'd still be there. Because, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm saying I think we should probably go now. And he's... Ray, do you remember reading this book? What? Do you remember? <laughs> and I, he's here, but he has had his headphones on. Ray, <laughs> do you remember reading this book? Yeah. Do you like it? No. <laughs> Why don't you like it? Why don't you like it? <laughs> I think you'll come back to it. Another 30 years. (laughs) People often ask me what my regular London pub is, but that assumes there's a pub I can easily return to, so please stop asking that. London Pub Reviews, written by Paul Ewan and featuring Tim Key. A hat-trick podcast. Did you save my seat? Why? I'm at a completely different pub now, with different seats catch up available now wherever you get your podcasts drinking with dignity yes sir yes madam that's me all over there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I couldn't find out anything about Elma Arshak mm-hmm. Whitney, except that she's written a couple of other books, both of which are out of print. So Aww. if anybody wants to pick up that gauntlet and bring them back, I think they have such a, a vast appeal. And when you said on Instagram that you were going to be talking about this book, there yeah. was a huge reaction to it. Yeah, and lots of people um, reminiscing about their favourite childhood books, which a lot of which were also out of print. So I think there's a whole world out there of books that we could bring back yeah yeah i don't know the legality of it let's start (laughs) that please sounds like lots of energy involved yeah can someone else start that please (laughs) so i couldn't find anything out about alma which i'm really sad about but the illustrator lillian tell me more well you know she was married to russell hoban which takes us right back to one of my favorite books we're reading to you which is breast and jam for francis oh yes he wrote it she illustrated it it's the same illustrator same illustrator yes this was wow. A, yeah, this I is know. a revelation to <laughs> yeah. us. It is a revelation. <laughs> That's it amazing. Is. Those are gorgeous, those illustrations. Yeah. No wonder. It's a delicious book. And the illustrator who illustrated it first time round, again, very simple plot, turned uh, Francis into a little badger and Lillian kept going with that, which is a nice thing because it's it would have been terrible badger. to change it. And also, she's so endearing. She's so sweet. She is so she's sweet. She's good with faces, isn't she? She's little really good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. And then they split up, she and her husband. They were both American, came here to live. Mm-hmm. He stayed here. She went back to the States with their four kids mm-hmm. and carried on illustrating. Shh, so, That's amazing. Well, I feel like I kind of want to frame some of them, actually. They're so sweet. And uh, maybe I will. You maybe, maybe this copy. <laughs> <laughs> that very expensive Well, the one copy. that's my copy is the one that you used to read to me. And actually, it's... Um, it's starting to show some signs of wear and tear. The cover has just fallen off only in the last month. Has it? Yeah. It held out well. I mean, you know, that's 40 years of <laughs> yeah. use. So. 40 years of intense well reading. And it's yeah. not a hardback like this one. No, that's lovely, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it nice? Hardback version, yeah. And I love all the colours. The palette of colours is so retro. It's gorgeous. I might have to frame some of it. It's so <laughs> dear. It really is so lovely. What a sweet little story. It is. It's delightful. <laughs> so what, what did you want to be when you were little, Soph? Well, first thing I thought of was a nurse, actually. Maybe this kind of... <laughs> um, That's just yeah. for the hugs. Yeah, <laughs> and for providing comfort. Or a ballet dancer. Both of them seemed great ideas. Then I realised both involved quite a bit of work. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'd um, changed my mind by the time I hit double figures. But certainly, like, five or six-year-old me, that's what I thought I was headed towards. You were dressed as a nurse quite a lot. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, and trying out a bit of ballet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think that was mostly for me as well, wasn't it? I just really liked little pink shoes. Yeah, it was, it was great. Not the person in them, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you were included in the deal. Okay, thanks. But yeah, I did. I I did quite like it, but I don't think it felt like a calling for me. Ballet. <laughs> there is still time. <laughs> I don't think there is, Mum. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking there probably isn't, but I don't want to dash any of your hopes. I think the advice that is my favourite bit of advice has come from you, which is about trusting your instincts. 
I think it's always seen me right, really, because you can live in the present and do what feels right for where you are right then and there. And it leads to anything other than a dull life, really. It's, it's <laughs> more fun. Did, yeah. that, did that work all the way through Strictly? <laughs> uh, I don't, uh, yeah, you know what? Again, you gave me good advice for that um, because it's quite a extraordinary programme and... As you know, I'd never actually watched it before I decided to do it, which... That went for all of us, Fact Fans. I know, yeah. didn't it just? Yeah. Wasn't that strange? Really um, strange. Looking back. <laughs> but you said, look, just have fun because for the rest of your life, it's just going to be a nice thing you did once. And I think that was really good advice because it's such a juggernaut. It kind of has the potential to take over every brain cell. It took over most, but not all. I don't think any of us, I mean, even if we'd been absolute avid fans... I don't think any of us could have predicted what it would feel like for those of us that weren't dancing, let alone the person who had to learn yeah. up to three dances a week. I mean, it was it was extraordinary. Yes, and I am sorry as well because I know it's probably a bit overwhelming. <laughs> we didn't know, did no, we? We didn't know. No. <laughs> he got to the final. You know what? I really liked the way that Grandpa responded to it. He really loved it, didn't he? he did. Out of my entire career, I think it's been was like the only thing he really was into. Yeah, my my dad had a, an endless capacity to surprise. We were all asked to go on <laughs> ask the family, you know, what, uh, family fortunes. Ask the family. Well, yeah. <laughs> I yes, mean, that is what that, happened. That was yeah, but, um, family fortunes, and um, they wanted a sort of cross generational thing. Yeah. And uh, I did not think that my dad, your grandpa, would 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 say yes. So it sort of hinged really on him saying it. And we could all imagine him going, "Oh, why would you do that?" And he went. Yes, why not? And it's thought, literally my favourite so thing we ever did. I adored doing family. In fact, we've nearly got the whole gang back together again right here. We have. I think it's like one of like the best things I've ever done. I loved that so- day so much. And actually, Grandpa, I don't know if you remember, was the reason we ended up beating Angela Rippon's family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she was like really happy for us, definitely. Oh my goodness, she doesn't bear a grudge at all. She, in fact, on the day she looked really happy. Yeah, she's not, 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 not competitive. And... Um, <laughs> So we were down to the last bit where they said, uh, name something that comes in bunches. And the other team had run out of options. They got, you know, eh, eh. so it was over to us. And there's only one answer remaining. We went down the line and Grandpa said, coconuts. And it got to me, team captain, and Vernon Kay said, what's your final answer? And I said, I don't know if this is going to be up there, but I just quite like the idea of if this is my last word of the programme, coconuts. And then two people had said coconuts. So, yeah. Thank Grandpa. What was, the, what was the one we did with Davina McCall? Million Pound Drop. Yeah, we didn't. We got to the end, Mum. It was fine. We just got out on we the didn't. last question. Exactly, but we didn't, in, we didn't... I found it a bit mean, really. It was like loads of money for charity. Why do they do that? I know, just um, give it. Just give it. Just give it. Just and give I think, Davina, I felt at the time, because it was a live programme. Do you remember that? Yeah. Which is quite unusual for a game show. And so you would make your, you had basically a load of cash and you could spread your, you could hedge your bets, couldn't you? So you could split your money up between two answers. Um, So if one of them was right, you'd keep that money, obviously, but you'd lose whatever was your second other, other, you know. Bring it all back. Yes. Um, So you would do it and then, and then she'd say, right, we're going to give you, I don't know, 30 seconds. Do you want to stick or change your answer and I was quite impatient I just go no it's fine and I think I wasn't playing ball I was supposed to add to the tension and instead I'd be, always be going no it's fine do it just drop one of them it was, it was really pressured that it one. was really pressured. really pressured I absolutely love doing game shows <laughs> family fortunes top place definitely top place yeah but I love doing catchphrase you're good at catchphrase I loved it Boom. 
It's really fun. I'll just steer this back to other Sorry, waters. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the most recent impressive things you've done was to write your autobiography. And I was so impressed at how quickly you did that. Because it's, 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 it's really good. I mean, you can write, obviously. But, but also to focus on that with the so much else going on, by which I mean a household of seven people, etc. Mm, during lockdown. During lockdown mm. was remarkable. But also for you, you know, who's always, whatever you've done, been a collaborator. What was that like doing it? Just you on your own. Really enjoyed it. It's um, well, you know, because you've written books. It's such a private. The, the, the dialogue, firstly, is just you and the page. Then it's what you've written and your editor, and it stays small and intimate for a really long time. It's only really right at the end of the process that you open it out and other people start reading it. So that bit where it's really intimate and just one other person, I really I liked that bit a lot. And actually, I think I'd written all of it before I sent any of it over because I just kind of wanted to get my get to my deadline um so that first bit where you press send feels really scary really Um, scary but you again gave me good advice because you said you don't have to be a different version of yourself to write you can write how it works for you so I got into a little pattern of um taking the little kids out during the morning and playing with them all morning and then I'd go up stairs to actually normally Mickey's room weirdly which is quite a strange place to write I hasn't got a desk or anything but I just sit on the sofa with my laptop and then it's got and a lot have of clothes loads let's of clothes. be honest yeah it's also the dressing room and I keep the door open so kids could come in and out and I could hear what's going on but I would just start writing and I usually find that hours would just fly by before I knew it. I'd been there for four or five hours and I wrote really higgledy piggledy and I think that worked for my brain better so I wouldn't write chronologically I'd sit down and think right what do I feel like doing today and that's why I do a chapter on like terrible hairdos I'd had or I do a chapter on music or I do a chapter on I don't know when I had my first baby or something and I'd write or like that so it would be quite scattergun and then I put all these chapters in a big block and then I sent it all over to my poor editor Hannah and she wrote back saying that's great what how do I approach it how do I read this I was like oh yeah it makes no sense at all so I had to quickly reconfigure it but I really enjoyed it and I don't know if other people found this, but I found during lockdown, I found it easier to access memories from like sort of nostalgia was more present. Maybe it's because we were in short supply of making new memories. I think that's why that time feels so sort of uh, amorphous. It it just didn't really feel like as much to anchor it. But I could remember being teenage with such clarity. Everything was coming right back. So I was... It was like I could open those box files in my head a lot easier. It was really effective too. Mm, I enjoyed it. Because it was, um, I, don't, I don't want to say brave, because that sounds like, you know, you had to really confess to terrible things. But you had to go right back to something which has been fairly private till now. Obviously, there's yeah. people who know, but not everybody does. And when you're revealing that sort of thing, it feels so, you feel so porous, don't you? You just think everything, yeah. everything can come in as well as what you're revealing. That's true. And there's definitely a bit just before the book was published where I thought oh god this is like about to run down naked down a street or something just like oh god what have I done but I felt quite empowered by it really because I think all of us have things that we experience and you're in your head with a lot of it so being able to vocalize it and put put context and put it out there how you were actually feeling on the inside actually felt quite quite strong even if you're admitting the things that you found tricky I actually felt quite good about that because I'm a, you know, I started the book from a happy ending. I started yeah. it from feeling in a good place. It's a bit prosaic, but it's almost like tidying your cupboards, isn't it? You can see where things are, and you know, you know what relevance they have. 
and some things don't have the relevance that you thought they did that's as well. true yeah that is true it all ended up all right in the end just like james <laughs> <laughs> didn't start off just awful though no it didn't start off just awful <laughs> no. Well, I'm really glad that I can give you a spanking old copy of this book it's because so it nice. is so. It is a lovely book, and it was a lovely one for me to revisit as well because, Aww. unlike so much of my past, I could remember it. Hey. So that's that's a result. Just, this um, is a fancier copy than the one we had, isn't well, it? Well, you look after that one. I will. You look this after mine. that one. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much, Sophie. Ah. I'm going to snuggle down in bed now. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Thank you so much. A nice thing to Thank you so much for listening. This has been Twice Upon a Time with me, Janet Ellis. The producer is Caroline Raphael. Recording and post-production by John Wakefield and Diggory Waite. All the titles mentioned are on the podcast show page. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Twice Upon a Pod for pictures of our guests and their brilliant books. And if you like the show, do recommend to a friend or leave us a review. The executive producer is Claire Broughton. And Twice Upon a Time is a hat-trick podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.